Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Britain is a Nation of. The podcast where we explore British behaviour by unpacking statistics to understand the little differences and similarities between us all. I'm Stuart Henderson, head of news at Yahoo. And I'm Matilda Long, journalist at Yahoo. I'm Victoria Valdez, a data journalist at YouGov. So today, with Easter on the cards, we're talking about how modern Britons respond to the concept of Christianity, from how many of the Ten Commandments Brits say are still worth following, to what makes for a quote-unquote good Christian. And we're joined by our special guest, the Reverend Kate Botley, or Kate, Gogglebox <laughs> star, former RE teacher and current Church of England priest in North Nottinghamshire. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Lovely Hello. To have you here. So I'm going to head straight to the Bible and to the Old Testament specifically and talk about the Ten Commandments and whether people still think they're important guiding principles. So I've got a question for Victoria and Stuart, not for you, Kate, because I think it will be too easy. <laughs> but, uh, ask us what they well, are. are you both confident that you know what the Ten Commandments are? How many of them do you think you know? I'm sure don't kill anyone's on there. That's one of the big ones. Don't blaspheme, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. Must be in there. Uh, uh, thou shalt not... Yeah, good Sheets. start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, thou shalt not. Uh, is there something about idolatry in there? Yes, there is an idolatry one. Thou shalt not steal. I think is another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, take, is it thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain or something? Very good. Uh, Teacher's pet. <laughs> I am overachieving. I feel at the moment. So, yeah, uh, I, think I, think I'm, well. I reckon I could probably pull a couple more, but mm. uh, yes, I think that. I can come out. <laughs> so I think I think you know most of them, but I will admit before. Looking them up specifically, I couldn't remember what they all were. Um, But the YouGov poll I picked up this week asked the public, both Christians and non-Christians, which of the Ten Commandments they think are still important principles to live by. So the population as a whole basically think that six out of the Ten Commandments are still important principles for the 21st century. Which ones aren't? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the kind of divide is basically whether or not they refer to religious practice or whether they're just things that are kind of morally a bit more generally people would accept those to be true so i think you mentioned thou shall not kill sure thank god i don't know if you mentioned this as well but another is thou shalt not steal mm-hmm. those were the top two Kate, are you surprised that those are the ones that most people said no not at all i think i think those are the ones that if you ask people to list their top 10 commandments um those would be the first couple that mm. people mention uh, what's really interesting uh, like victoria said is, is what are the four that mm. are not so for you shall not worship idols 31 percent of people said that's still important 13 percent said they didn't know 56 percent not important you shall not take the lord's name in vain I think that's quite an interesting one. 23% said that's important. 68% said it's not important. The rest didn't know. And that one's slightly jarred with me, the 23%, because I don't think I know anyone, religious, religiously observant or otherwise, who avoids saying 
oh my god you do so, now yeah <laughs> well <laughs> so in my house we've, mm. got a, we've got a 15 year old and 18 year old and I'm very proud that I taught them to swear mm. properly right? <laughs> quite young so um, I taught them about uh, that language is really important how we use our words is really important mm. so you need to be very careful around your swearing so I would much rather my children drop an F-bomb than blaspheme mm. so Jesus Christ you'll get told off for a mm. decently timed funny well well thought through <laughs> F-bomb is absolutely fine okay um, and <laughs> <laughs> always has been. That's mm. interesting. I'm going through that with my eight-year-old at the moment, and mm. I'm we're obviously telling him not to swear because he's you know understanding because he's language a child. Just yeah. a child. <laughs> um, and equally, I think I'm almost more militant about the saying "For God's sake" or "Jesus Christ" or whatever. Now, myself and my wife say it, um, and it's incredibly hypocritical. And he sort of challenges me and says, "Well, why can't I say it? You, you and Mummy say it all the time." Mm. It's like, yeah. yes, but we understand the context of when it's okay to say it because we say it in, in, in the private setting and we know no one else in, within earshot is going to be offended by that. Mm. So actually it's the, it's the fact that people are going to be offended by it that is trying to get that across to him. Mm. But I, I don't understand why I'm so militant on the, for God's The sake, most awkward I moment, I have to say, as a as a person who wears a dog collar for a living, the most awkward moment mm. is when someone says it in conversation, goes, oh, Jesus Christ, and they go, oh, I'm so oh, sorry. sorry. You're, like that. <laughs> you're not my child. Yeah. I'm not telling you what. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. That's your own. But for me, it's, a, it's again another thing about how mm. we frame the question. So I yes. think in, for people who are not particular, don't have a faith, say, no, my God, or Jesus Christ, or anything like that is not a, a, not an issue. But if you, if you reframed the, st- the commandment mm. and said, do you think the words we use are important and we should use them carefully? 99% of people yeah, are going to go, so yes, yes, of course. <laughs> Which is actually what the meaning behind the commandment is. The mm. meaning behind the commandment is, think about what you say, mm. because words are really important. Mm. That's actually the flavour of the commandment, especially for people that don't subscribe to, you know, a, Judeis, you know, a mm. Christian Judeo kind of framework of faith. It's so obvious when you put it like that. For me, it's a fascinating question, this whole mm. debate around religion and faith. Because if mm. someone says to me, are you religious? I mm. say no. Really? I'm not religious. I'm not a person of religion. Because religion for me is a man-made construct that is about control. Whereas I would describe myself, I self-identify as a person of faith. And that faith that I subscribe to is the Christian faith. But religion mm. is something else for me. These these are ancient documents. They were never meant to be read in a literal way of course they were meant to be taken seriously so you were talking about Genesis earlier Mm. and people said to me oh well you believe the world was made in six days Mm. I'm a Christian I'm not a fool I believe in evolution and the big bang you know Mm. that's I'm not what I believe is that these words are a living document and if they're a living document then they're not static they're not birthed and they stay the same they grow they develop they change and it's our job as ministers of faith to try and see how they might apply to people's lives today Mm. two two more commandments to look at Mm -hmm. Uh, so one is the actual the first commandment you shall have no other god before me 20% said this is important 68% said not important and the one that was seen as least important by the population as a whole was keeping the sabbath that's fascinating to me so again <laughs> i'd really like i mean excuse my ignorance here kate but can you explain a bit what keeping the sabbath yeah. actually means so for for obviously the commandments were written for the jews mm. uh, as they came out as the exodus as they came out of slavery into the mm-hmm. promised land God gave them these rules to live by as they were a new people born into a new place. Um, and there's actually over 650 commandments in the Old Testament. These are just the top 10. Oh, wow. And Orthodox Jews will try and live by all the commandments. They're in there, all nearly 650 of them. Mm-hmm. They will try and live by all of them. Um, these are just the top 10. Mm-hmm. So um, 
what happened was they were given this framework to live by in order to help them to blossom and flourish. And then, of course, Christianity came along out of Judaism. It was originally mm-hmm. a sect of Judaism because Jew- Jesus was Jewish, of course. Um, so Jesus, so these rules were then adopted by the Christian faith. So the Sabbath for Jews mm. is Friday sunset to Saturday mm. sunset. Then because Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday uh, for Christians, that the Sabbath became for Christians Saturday sunset to Sunday sunset. So already mm. we see a problem in the rule <laughs> itself. What on earth is the Sabbath? Yes. Again, let's reframe the question. If you said to people, do you think it's really important to take time off and be with your family occasionally and the people you love? 99% mm. of people are going to say, <laughs> I think it's a really good idea to have some mm. time away from work. That's the mm-hmm. spirit of the rule. Mm. The spirit of the keep the Sabbath day holy is to say it ain't good to work all the time. You need to take time off with people you love. That's mm. the spirit of the law. It does mm. get, uh, in. it can be enforced quite draconianly, though, I guess. I, I went to visit friends in Stornoway, where, is it the, the Wee yeah. Free? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, we we um a friend picked us up from the airport, drove us back to her flat, uh, and we drove past the house. And she said, "Oh, funny story. Um, the, the woman who lives here hung her washing out on a Sunday, and someone came along, took the washing down, dumped it in a puddle." Yeah, oh what? Because, because she was, was working Sunday, on the Sabbath. She was breaking the Sabbath. They locked the was... playgrounds. You know, you, yeah. the, the playgrounds locked, so no going on the swings, mm. no operating light switches, no turning the TV on, none of that. And that's for me when the law stops being what it's supposed to be. So mm. all these mm. rules were built to help it, to make it easier for people to live as a as a collective, to live in community with one another. That's the spirit mm. of these commandments. It's supposed to make your life easier, not harder, mm. right? <laughs> and so the commandments are there to help people get along with each other. So the minute it tips over into being legalism Mm. the minute it tips over into being well I want to control you I want to use this religious framework to beat you up to make me feel better about myself that's when it stops being about faith and starts being about inhumanity Mm. and I think that that's the most interesting one because Mm. there's you know you used to not be able to show movies on a Sunday parliament used to not sit on a Sunday or Mm -hmm. wasn't allowed to have anything on a Sunday do you remember Jonathan Edwards the triple jumper he used to not compete on a Sunday and he broke that uh, in 1993 or something during a world championship or something like that because he was in a final and the final was oh, on a Sunday that. and he broke that so I remember a massive when I was younger a massive thing about Sunday trading mm. yep. and it, it, keep it, Sunday like, special campaign absolutely it felt like people were arguing it's like the symbolic of the end of times and I, and I do I actually do have some sympathy with that like it does feel like Sunday when I was growing up I guess I must have been like 15 or 16 when Sunday I was going to say the word keep it sacred which is a religious word right, exactly. I didn't... <laughs> but it does feel like Sunday is like a Saturday to me now like mm. there's, there's barely any difference between the two and that is sad I think like our mm. local cop opens at 11 so it's slightly different wait till it's close at 4 yeah but it, I don't know it does, it does feel like that's that in particular. Mm. And interesting. That's that's what that commandment was for. The mm. commandment was for to help people live in community and family better. Mm. That's the whole point of it. And the whole point of it was to say, it's not good to work all the time. Mm. You need to spend some time with people you love. Mm. And that's the spirit of it. And by not by the way that Sundays have changed culturally in mm. this country, it means that we do lose that. I, I had a Saturday job when I was a kid when Sunday training trading came in, and I remember having to say to my boss, I'd really rather not work Sundays, mm. and just never getting any overtime after that, never getting any extras, never, you know, because everybody else was prepared to work. And yeah. that's what I feel sorry for, and that's why I would always fight for people, for workers to have, I mean, being good socialists that I am as well, <laughs> for, for workers to have proper time off, because it, 
because we don't have Sundays the way that you're talking about, mm. um, like we used to, there is pressure on people to work all the time. Mm. And actually, that's my concern about this particular commandment. And I think if you reframed it mm. again and said, should everyone get time off if they need it? Yes, of course they should. That's what it's about. And that's one of the that's one of the commandments where Christians and non-Christians differed the most. So being a Christian or not doesn't make any difference to whether you think murdering or stealing are bad. Everyone's quite anti, but Christians are 31% more likely than non-Christians to say that taking the Lord's name in vain, you shouldn't do that. It's important that you should live by that. And also 31% more likely to say that I am your God, you shall have no other God before me is important. Those are the biggest gaps. And they're 24% more likely to say that keeping the Sabbath is important. I mean, the idolatry one for me is about, again, about, about values. Where mm. do you put your values? So if you ask that commandment and said, is the most important thing in your life the stuff you own? No, mm. of course it isn't. Yeah. You know, that's the spirit of the law that is being laid down there. Yes, I, I was. I was thinking, so I, I, throughout this so far, I've been thinking about. Oh, I was going to reference something from the Bible, and it, and it, and I'm everything I want to say feels like half knowledge, and I think it's Don't really, worry. it's really. I'm sure there's like a story, a story about smashing up idols in a church. I think it, it, I'm, as I was thinking about this, I realised that even I, you know, I studied religion at, at school. Uh, I was, uh, I'm a lapsed Catholic. But I kind of the knowledge is sort of dissipates out of, and I would say I'm probably you know quite sort of in tune with like religious stories more sure. than perhaps mm-hmm. the average uh, population, and I don't know. It just feels like a hold of what's important. Like you're explaining the Ten Commandments in a, in a much more kind of uh, nuanced way, and I like literally no no one gets that. Mm-hmm. I reckon. No, it, no, it's, it's it, really interesting. It's the same framework where people say to me, "You believe the world was made in six days? You believe in Adam and Eve? You believe in uh, Noah's Ark?" And you go, "Actually." It's much more nuanced than yeah. that. So it's not a black and white structure. It's mm. not, you know, and someone wrote to me the other week and said, when were you so certain that when were you so certain that God existed? And I wrote back and put any day now. It's called <laughs> faith. It's not called sure. It's that's the whole point of it, is that we're exploring it and finding there are if you if you know people come to and say, I just want answers, well then you'll never mm. get them. That's not what this is about. That is not what this is about. <laughs> It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's a nice segue onto my survey. Uh, If God does exist, I would like to ask the team, um, what do you think God looks like? Victoria. (laughs) So when I was a kid, I always pictured God like one of the uh, dwarves in Seven (laughs) 
what's it in Snow, Snow White? White. Yeah, Which yeah, one? Yeah. The sleepy <laughs> one. Oh. <laughs> the sleepy one. Really? I can I can still see the image really? in my head. I was he's not sitting on a big cloud. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got like a floppy hat and a big beard. And that's God in my Interesting head. pronoun there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's. No, yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah. He's, Matilda. So I went to a Catholic primary school. So we and I kind of found some of my drawings that I did um, <laughs> from school. And I drew God as a cloud with sort of sunshine coming out. So it was never a depiction of God. It was always God behind a cloud. So in the sky, definitely. And it was always something to do with light. Um, but Just that's generally how I portrayed the, it. The baby in the Teletubbies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was essentially what little Matilda thought God looked like. Kate. Um, what does God look like? <laughs> what does God look like? Everything and nothing is what God looks like. Um, so from my understanding in the scriptures is when created in the image of God, which means that God, um, and I'm being very careful with my pronouns here, um, <laughs> God, is, uh, God is completely unique. So the way I tell it is this. When people on I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here mm-hmm. eat kangaroo Balls. Can yes. I say balls on this podcast? I yeah. I, think I just have. When people on I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here eat kangaroo balls, and Ant and Dyke say, what do the kangaroo balls taste like? They say, it tastes like chicken. Yes. Kangaroo balls don't taste like chicken. Guess what kangaroo balls taste like? They taste like kangaroo balls. They taste like, but we've got nothing to compare mm. that to yeah. because most of us have never tasted that. Mm. So what we do is we use a framework that we can understand mm. because we can only understand things in terms of what we have experienced. So what they say is it tastes like chicken. It doesn't taste like kangaroo balls. God is God is God is God. But what we do is we frame that in ways that we can understand. So we come up with men on clouds with beards. We come up with uh, lightning bolts coming out of fingernails. We come up with all this stuff, good shepherds, Mm. um, wise counsellors, all these words, none of which will even describe the tiniest end of the fingernail of God if God has indeed got fingernails. (laughs) But we have to frame it in some sort of way. So no, I don't know is the short answer. But do you see God in any way as a as a a person as a figure sort of as a do you see what as I'm a saying? being yeah as an individual well to being. put to put god into a being means that that is a finite contained mm. entity mm-hmm. so i would struggle okay. with that mm. and what i've observed in people that i've spoken to about their understanding of god is they've not moved on from being little matilda <laughs> that drew <laughs> the Catholic pictures yeah. they haven't so i will talk to i wrote an article for the guardian for goodness sake about this a few a few years ago now when all right this the guardian we're not talking you know these are the average guardian reader is an intelligent educated articulate person the number of letters i've got from people saying that they they'd never thought that God wasn't a be if God existed it mm. was an old man on the cloud these are people who've developed their thinking in all sorts of other areas mm. but have not yet moved on from that RE lesson that they did when they were seven where they drew an old they essentially drew Father Christmas yes. on a cloud <laughs> right I was thinking for me it's Charlton Heston I've, not even, I've, not, I've, actually, I've never even seen the film the Ten Commandments yeah, yeah, yeah. but that is what God looks like yeah. to me it's bizarre. so uh, <clears throat> you Gav asked um uh, they actually asked the population, uh, which, if any, gender do you believe God has? Ooh. Uh, which is very, very interesting. Uh, 36% of respondents said they thought God is male. <laughs> That's less than I would have thought, actually. 1% mm. said God is female. Okay. They'd be listening to Ariana Grande. They asked it in, in response to the song coming out, actually. Ariana Grande's God is a woman. Uh, God has a different human gender identity. 
3%, so not male or female, but has an identity but, as you were talking right, about, Victoria. Okay. And in terms of doesn't have a human gender at all, which I think more represents what you were saying, Kate, is actually 41%. And 19% of people didn't know, which I guess is... The only honest ones there. Which is actually the answer. Which is actually, God exists. We don't know. But what you were saying, Kate, about um, trying to have this kind of uh, way of contextualizing God to make it more relevant to you, or not more relevant, but more understandable Mm. to you, like kangaroo balls. Uh, (laughs) What's interesting, I thought, was the gender split here, where 30% of male respondents said God is male. 41% 41% of female respondents said God is male. Interesting. So more, fem- more women really? thought God was male than men. I wonder as well, the people who said they don't know or that God doesn't have a specific gender would still refer to God as he. Just we don't have, we don't have the Default terminology. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, where, this is where I was going to move the conversation on to because you, you've mentioned patriarchy already, Kate. Um, I, I guess the obvious question is why is God a he, not a she? Why, why, why I mean, it's, it's obvious... But is that is that it? Is that that's why? It. That's it. That's it. Because it was a, a dude that wrote it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. dude, it's it's blokes that wrote the scripture. They were the ones that were educated. Who, um, so who wrote the scripture? Like, oh, how did diff- that happen? different people, mm. collectives, um, different stories, oral tradition initially. Mm. So these stories are passed down. So you only let's look at the first book of the Bible, Genesis. If the evening passed, the morning came, and that was the first day. Evening passed. It writes. It reads like a poem. It mm. reads like a you know like the stories that you read to your mm. kids when they're little. You know, it reads like that. It is a song, a poem. It's an allegory. It's symbolic. Um, there were specific writers, so people like St. Paul in the New Testament who wrote letters to the new churches that were setting up and all that sort of stuff. Is that the Corinthians? Yeah, not, well done. You <laughs> I'm ever so proud of you. Go um, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's, but Yeah, it's, it's because it, that's, that's, who, that's who commanded it, that's who ruled it, you mm. know? My favourite quote uh, around this area and God's gender is from Pope John Paul II, uh, who said in 1992, God is neither man nor woman, he is God. God is neither man nor woman. He, he, he is God. God. <laughs> even, even well, in that... our language lets us down. We don't we can't yeah. say it. Can and so, you? so uh, this is the same for Hebrew, and that's what the Old Testament was written in. There, there isn't a gender-neutral pronoun in Hebrew. No, uh, that's very true. So, I would like to ask Kate, what do you think the impact of this kind of um, hmm. malification of God uh. has been? Well, uh, the impact of it is, is that, you know, you only need to look at some of the saints like uh, Thomas Aquinas and people like that who said that, you know, women are saved through, women are saved through marriage to men and, you know, mm-hmm. that um, w- women are not permitted to speak in church, uh, which is a, a St. Paul line in, in Timothy. Um, uh, women are not ordained still in the Roman Catholic Church. You know, it has it led to... 2,000 years of the oppression of women. Um, and feminist theology comes from two perspectives. One is the scripture is irredeemable. Christianity is irredeemable in terms of a feminist narrative. We need to chuck it out. You can't possibly be a Christian and be a feminist. Or I'm not from that camp, surprisingly. Um, <laughs> or the feminist theology perspective that it's re- all redeemable, but we just need to search a little bit harder to find the stories of women. So, for example, we've got Easter coming up really soon. Um, who were the first witnesses to the resurrection? Who were the ones who found the empty tomb? Uh, I think it was the women. Yeah. Uh, who were the ones that stayed with Jesus while he was on the cross? Uh, I think it was the women. You know, so 
the, the stories of women are there, mm-hmm. but we don't know them. I, I can give you an example, a hard example. I was in church the other week and I was I, I sat at the back of church. Someone was doing the prayers at the front. Great, great per- bloke, real good friend of mine. And he was saying his prayers and he did help to help us, Lord, to be help us, Lord, to be like Noah, following your word wherever. Help us, Lord, to be like King David. And he, mm. help us, Lord, to be like. And he did a series of examples of people from the Bible, all men who right. he was holding up as an example. And afterwards I went up to him and I went, you never mentioned one woman. And he went, I never thought. Mm. It needs to be I pointed out. I never thought. And so what happens is we just need to be even more vocal. Um, we just need to shout just a little bit louder. And we're getting there. We are getting there. But it's a work in progress. Mm. Um, and it's it's it can be very disheartening at times to be a woman of faith. Who are the women worth mentioning then? <laughs> oh my word! <laughs> you know, some, of them don't, some of them don't yeah. even get names. That's the one of the bad mm. things in scripture. Is some of the women don't. So my favorite is the woman at the well. She is. She doesn't have a name in scripture. We don't know her name. We'll never know her name. Fail the best um, test. I know, right? <laughs> so Jesus is um, at the well. He's at a well in the middle of a town in the middle of the day. He's been doing busy, busy teaching. He's really tired. He's really thirsty, and um, he goes to the well at noon. So already alarm bells are ringing. Women, you're not at the. No one goes to the well at noon. All right. Mm-hmm. Everyone goes first thing in the day when it's nice and cool. So there's a woman at the well at noon on her own. This is all very dodgy. Scandal. So she's obviously <laughs> upset somebody or she's obviously done something she shouldn't because she's there alone. Women go to the well first thing in the morning when they can talk to their friends. That's where women go. So she's at the well on her own. I already like her. She's already feisty. <laughs> she's already either done something really bad or, or, or shot a mouth off about something. <laughs> Jesus comes along and goes, can I have a drink of water? Now, Jesus is a a man on his own, a Jewish teacher and scholar that would have been known, and he approaches the woman, okay? And what she should do, according to the structures of the society, is just give him the water and get away from there as quickly as possible because a man and a woman alone together, uh uh-oh, alarm bells are ringing. She turns around and she goes, who are you? I love her. (laughs) She's feisty. She's feminist. He asks for a drink of water. She gives him a drink of water. They get into a debate about theology. So she doesn't just give him the drink and back off. She starts asking him about his teaching and what he's talking. What are you talking about then? Who are you? (laughs) What you, What are you doing coming around here spouting your theology? So she starts having a bit of an argument with him about the scriptures. She is an absolute feminist heroine of mine because she doesn't shy away. She doesn't back Mm -hmm. away from the conversation. Then the disciples pitch up and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's going on here? What's she doing at middle day. What are you doing arguing the 12 male disciples. The 12 male disciples. They're completely freaked out by her. (laughs) And and she keeps going and she does not back away until Jesus goes, hey, you're great, you. And that's, and that's, and so she's one of my, and we will never know her name mm. and when we read that story for years and years that story is pitched as a, a little postscript in scripture a little kind of aside but actually when you pick off all the cultural stuff in it and you mm. go just a minute this is a really big deal and there are hidden messages in scripture all the time about the way that women are behaving and the way that women are standing up for stuff do, do you think scripture um hmm, within just, the context of its times yeah. do you think it was um uh, represented women more fairly than than perhaps um, think, they, they were treated in society, or less fairly? Did they reinforce prejudice? Did it reinforce prejudices? Or so, know. for example, Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Um, when I say the word Mary Magdalene, especially to people who are, have been cradle Catholics, we go, "Oh, she's a naughty lady, isn't yeah. she?" She's not. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that Mary Magdalene was a sex worker. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say it anywhere. It's something we've layered on her over the years. That's um, which is, if you actually go back and look, at no point does it actually say that she was a sex worker. It was just she was feisty and she poured perfume on Jesus' feet and feet were like um, were like genitals, you know, they're, they're, they're that sort of 
sacred. They're that kind of, you know, mm. it's very intimate to touch someone's mm. feet. Um, and so that's why she was interpreted as being it's a, way a to woman of ill repute mm. and a way of attaching shame to her, um, you know, and that she couldn't possibly be the witness. To, oh, she might have witnessed the resurrection. She might have been the first, but she was a woman of mm. ill repute, inverted commas, you know, and, and that's what we've done is we've layered up on these women. Mm. You know, you can either be the virgin or the whore. You're either the Virgin Mary or you're Mary Magdalene. You can't be, <laughs> some, you can't mm, be somewhere in the middle. That's and still a way that women are undermined by using sex to shame them absolutely Mary Magdalene that still happens now absolutely Um, you know and it's that sort of thing of we just need to take off the layers Mm. and go oh yeah actually where is the real woman in this And, and just things like Jesus speaking to women at the time a rabbi speaking to a woman that is revel. It's we cannot we cannot comprehend in our western 21st century Mm. mentality how revolutionary it was that Jesus actually had a conversation with a woman. And the reason Jesus was a man, as far as I can understand, because obviously I believe in the incarnation. Mm. I don't believe Jesus was just a person. The reason that Jesus was a man and God chose to have a son of God and not a daughter of God, as far as I understand it, is because women weren't listened to. Women weren't heard. You know, you couldn't have a court of law in biblical times if there were just women present, women weren't reliable witnesses. So you could have a thousand women in court who'd seen the guy nick the whatever, nick the nick the donkey or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if you didn't have a man as a witness, it did not count because women's testimony. It is testimony circular didn't because it's God's world, isn't it? So why is it that in God's world women weren't listened to or women weren't respected in a way that then meant that God had to impregnate <laughs> had to create a, a male incarnation because because that sucker called free will mm. you know that whole free will thing that we've got you know it, damn it the, the, <laughs> if we were made as i as i believe it if we were made um completely obedient then there would have been no need for salvation anyway there would have been mm. no need for an incarnation anyway so but broken world god says right what what can i do to help people what can i do to to intercede and intervene and how can we how can we teach them the ways of faith I'll send a messenger. Yeah. This person needs to be a bloke. But so you think God created men and women and then humans amongst themselves created a society in which yeah. men had mm. power over yeah. women. That wasn't God's doing. No. That was mm. a human... Absolutely not. ...accident. Yeah, that was that, was that soccer call free will. Mm. Right. This is a, a good segue actually into, into the poll that I wanted to talk about, which I mentioned earlier, which is about what makes a quote unquote good Christian. So to what extent is it necessarily obligatory that you have to follow some of these traditions that we associate with Christianity or are those not necessarily actually what defines Christianity? Mm-hmm. Um, so the way that we chose to do this was to poll, um, poll people with giving them a list of Paul's uh, so-called fruits of the spirit from the Galatians. Is that how you pronounce it? Galatians? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which are love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control, uh, and then also none of these and don't know uh, <laughs> which of these. The do classic you think? survey answers. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, which, if any of the following traits, do you think is most important for someone to show in order to be deemed as a good Christian? And just like the Ten Commandments question, we asked this to everyone, but then also looked at breakdowns of people who identify as Christian. Mm. Um, And the results were really interesting. So as I mentioned earlier, we have around 50% of people who say, I don't regard myself as belonging to any particular religion, which is just interesting nuance, um, which actually is all the way up to 74% among 18 to 24-year-olds, 59%, 25 to 34, and then goes down to 38% among those age 55 and above. So pretty big age breaks there. 
Um, in terms of the traits, kindness comes top by far. 35% mm. of people say that is the most important trait to be deemed as a good Christian, followed by love, which 14% say is the most important trait. So you could only choose one. Mm. Um, next came goodness, which had 11% of the vote. And faith had just 6%. I was really quite surprised right. that that was, that was fourth in line. And, you know, just one sixth as many people as, as, uh, as chose kindness said faith. Um, one other interesting thing I think that jumps out at me is that considerably more women said kindness than men. Ooh. So 42% of women chose kindness, which is, you know, almost half versus 27% of men. Um, men were also slightly more likely to say don't know. Um, across the age breaks, uh, you know, aligning with the fact that younger people are less likely to identify as as religious, more of them said don't know. But the kind of order in which they rank them, if you like, is the same across all ages. Everyone ah, says kindness is most important, followed by love, followed by goodness, followed by followed by faith. Where would you put faith on that list? Because I think that is the most interesting one. So, uh, the, I, I'm going to take I'm going to take it back to the question. I'm going to start start at the the fr the idea that you can be a good Christian is a crazy notion to me because I'm a terrible Christian. <laughs> and I think that kind of the basic point for me of Christianity is that I am an absolute failure, and all Christians are. We mess it up continually. We get it wrong. We're hypocritical. We fudge it up on a, <sighs> a second by second basis. We are not perfect people. And the idea that you know, some I remember. Someone was saying to me, oh, the thing that I find really difficult about churches is it's full of hypocrites. Yep, that's why we're there. I'm not there <laughs> because I think I'm a good person. I'm there because I think I'm a terrible person. And actually, this is not, it's not, um, it's not an award ceremony going to church. It's a hospital for the broken. That's what it's about. It's about going there and going, oh, my word, mm -hmm. I can't get this life right. And I'm trying really hard. So... It's interesting to me that we continually frame the idea of being a good Christian about being a good person and doing kind things and being nice. Mm. The last thing I'm very good at is being nice. I know I wear a dog <laughs> collar for a living, but I am an absolute failure, as are we all. We're all messed up. Um, so this sort of narrative, because people go, well, that's not very Christian of you, is it? Well, what do, remind people, whenever anyone says, says, says to you, that's not very Christian of you. Jesus beat people with whips and turned tables over in the temple and got really angry. You know, <laughs> with whips. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. That story. Do you not remember that with the moneylenders? Where yeah, got, I remember that was that. the one you were talking about. Was about smashing the idols. So he got mm. into the temple oh, right. and there were people changing money and uh, made it into a bit of a marketplace. Got really angry, mm. chucked <laughs> tables over, got a whip, beat people over the head with it. So when you say, um, when people say uh, that's not very Christian, you need to remind people that being Jesus Himself lost his temper. Mm. So this idea that we're somehow perfect people is an absolute anathema. But it's about what you're striving to be, right? right so okay. even if it's not what okay. you are at that point in time, if you think, you know, you do get angry, you, you turn over a table and then you <laughs> think, right, what am I going to do next? Yeah. <laughs> love is the top one for me. Love would be the mm. absolute top one because mm. we do some stuff in love that is tough, don't we? So the reason Jesus turned over the tables and beat people with whips is because that's what they needed. So he did that out of a place of love. Tough love, mm. uh, crazy love, harsh love, violent love, but love nonetheless. Mm. Um, take that word violent under advice, not all violence is loving. <laughs> um, but it, it, can, it can be. And so f for me, I really struggle with the, question because the question to me says something about 
flower arranging and teapots and being nice mm-hmm. and going around. And Christianity is not like that. I'm much more of the kind of revolutionary Oscar Romero kind of Christianity that says, you know, we're about speaking about against injustice and we're about changing the world for the better. And we're about speaking out for the oppressed and the poor and, mm-hmm. you know, and smashing <laughs> patriarchy. And that's, I, whereas when we ask the when we say it's about kindness, mm. it sounds a bit like kittens and jumpers. Mm-hmm. So why is that <laughs> message not getting through? What should the church do differently to uh, get a better representation of what non-Christians think Christianity is? We, For me, it would be if we were the actual voice in against all forms of oppression. So if we were the leading voice in the nation about equal marriage, if we were the leading mm. voice in the nation against poverty, against, you know, so when Wonga went under, for mm. example, um, the Church of England talked about taking on all the debts of all the Wonga customers and paying them off. We didn't do it, but if we'd have done that, mm. Adam was like, yes, this is what we should mm. be doing. We should be in refugee camps in Calais. We should be, these are the places we should be because I believe that's a place where Jesus was. This mild-mannered, blue-eyed, ginger-haired Christ, mm-hmm. absolutely not. He was at the cutting edge of where the people that were the most vulnerable in society were. So do you think uh, Christianity should be apolitical? Yes, I can't see how it cannot be. The, have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, it's like a socialist manifesto. Yeah, not, you know? not for a while. I mean, obviously, not everybody who professes to be Christian comes from a, a same political viewpoint as I do. But most of the Christians that I know, and I've, this this is you know this is not in any way done a survey or anything, but most of the Christians that I know that identify as Christian are the rabble rousers the you know mm. revolutionaries the you know the tying themselves to chain to chain link fences at arms bases and also and that's christianity's not about kindness and being nice i think one of the interesting things in this is that amongst so if you broke it down uh for people who identify as christian then you had 22 percent who said love was the most important uh compared to 14 percent in the general population so it is quite a big increase mm. but they still had kindness at the at the top of it it's funny because i like it's a really interesting it's interesting to hear your reaction to it okay because i thought i was thinking about this and i was thinking about the kindness versus love idea and then i came out of it thinking i i, I suppose the the good thing about the kindness angle is that even though love is is really important it's also to be it's also important to me to be kind to those who maybe you don't love right mm. so like, yeah, yeah. You know, like and to and to show kindness and maybe maybe through that you know level form um but i think that I don't know. You cannot. I can. I see how kindness can be seen as 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 niceness or equated to niceness. But I can also see kindness as underlaying some of what you're talking yes, about. Of course. You know, uh, in terms of a kind view of humanity, a view of wanting to be kind to each other, and 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 that informing our politics, if you like, and informing the kind mm. of revolutionary angle, compassion think, and empathy. Yeah. I suppose. Love your neighbour as yourself. I think yeah. that's the golden rule of all faiths, isn't it? And all belief mm. structures. I, so, grow. This sounds great. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, okay. Stuart's Stuart's going to drop the bomb here. I can hear it. it. I can great. hear it. But, but the idea of religious observance is one of the things that put me off religion sure. more than anything else. And me. That kind of mm-hmm. absolute. If you don't go to, to church on a Sunday, you're not a quote unquote good Christian, mm. and that and that is reinforced and reinforced. So the church shouldn't be reinforcing that. If 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 the if the whole point. But of also being, different different parts of the church. They reinforce parts of the church, it differently. Sorry, yeah. So that's Catholicism. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, like it feels like there's easy wins here, right? That they're not oh, yeah. doing because they are incredibly traditional, yeah, and 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 a massive institution, and it's very difficult for, to turn that massive oil tanker to a different point. But of I view. think what's but also happened that. is we've we've missed the window. 
So lots of churches are saying this stuff. Lots of churches mm-hmm. are saying, lots of Christian organizations are going, okay, please come on a Sunday. Sundays are really important. Just like going to your home match is really good important. But actually, mm-hmm. if your faith is not affecting you Monday to Saturday, then Sunday's a waste of time. Don't mm-hmm. come here unless you're actually, you know, it's not just about Sundays. But we've missed we've missed that window to be able to that's the maori mm-hmm. is that actually you know big one of the biggest providers of social care after the government in this nation is faith organizations and particularly the church we set up most schools we set up most football clubs we set you know that's mm-hmm. why these things were set up because the church was especially in the victorian era was a, was a force for social good um and then we stopped i, I agree then I- we just stopped and I, and I, th- I feel like many people view the church as a link to the past rather than a yeah. progressive force, force for the future. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I feel in my you know my own personal experience, um, taking uh, my eight year old son who when he was in or well, he's in Beavers and Cubs and stuff, taking him to Remembrance Sunday service is a really important connection to remembering and thinking about the Second World War and the lessons we can learn. My view, my very ill-informed view, is if the church didn't exist, we probably wouldn't have Remembrance Sunday. Mm-hmm. We probably, well, obviously we wouldn't, but we probably wouldn't be thinking about the Second World War uh, and and everything that goes with that in the same way. So actually that the church is linked to the past in that respect is incredibly important. But I don't think it has any... I, I personally don't think that many people view the church as being a progressive force for good. Yeah. And that's a huge problem. Yeah, like that you, is a huge You need problem. to PR that up. And also, <laughs> I'm doing my best. Yeah. Um, and also there's that thing of um, we we used to open the doors and expect people to come to a building. Um, I don't think the nation has lost its faith. I absolutely don't. I think we might not be asking quite the right questions anymore. I think people aren't prepared to sit in a cold building and be bored anymore. I think that's actually what's going on. Mm-hmm. But as a person who works in churches, if I say to if I say to people in my community, we're setting up um we're setting up a cinema afternoon on a Saturday afternoon on rainy Saturday afternoons through the winter, will you bring your kids? Yeah, absolutely. I had atheists come into my family services who would go, I don't believe a word of this mm-hmm. and I got that's great come anyway mm. because if I was a French teacher and everyone had turned up to my French lesson already spoke fluent French what's mm. the point in coming please come with questions please come for an argument please come for a debate please come to this building as the best resource in your community it's heated it's funded we've got lighting we're a great space to use you want a concert on in here brilliant you want your children's birthday party great right now let's have a conversation about our values and what's important in our lives and what what it means to be a beacon in community for me, the question becomes: If you come to a point where where you say, for example, come to our, come to the church, come to this Christian space, and let's talk about our values, where would the line be between someone who shared exactly the same set of values as you did, but just didn't call that Christian or didn't call mm. themselves Christian? What's the That's what's it, the difference when Christianity becomes just It's that? a million dollar question. Uh, for me. Uh, it's about where do those values come from? Where does uh, where does the energy? Where's the power? Where's the where's the motivation mm. behind uh, wanting to be better and wanting to build community? Mm. And for me, that motivation comes from what I call God. Yeah. Now, other people might go, well, I call it love. I call it the universe. Mm. You know, you hear people using this language all the time. Mm-hmm. And when people tell me about the God they don't believe in, I don't believe in that God either. You know, I so they, they go, I don't believe in an old man on a cloud. No, neither do yeah. I. <laughs> Um, I, but I do believe there's a power that unites us as humanity. Yeah, I have a name for that power. And mm. for me, it, it 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 comes down to those conversations is that actually we we overlap much more than we think. So people, as a Christian, people have so many presumptions mm. about what I believe in mm. and and what I what I subscribe to. Mm. And actually, nine times out of ten, 
were the same. So, you know, this whole kind of like, people think I'm absolutely certain that mm-hmm. God exists. No, could mm-hmm. be wrong. Could mm-hmm. be wrong on this one. It's called faith. It's mm-hmm. not called sure. You know, it, it is nuanced. It isn't measurable. It can't be ticked in a box. It will change. I might not believe tomorrow what I believe today, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I think part of it for me is I wasn't brought up in a faith. I found faith along my journey. Um, and so... I, I wasn't ever made to go to church or made to go to Sunday school or any of that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and so it, 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 I came at it from a different perspective. Yeah. But what would you say for you would be the key, would be the difference? I, I, I absolutely see that there are lots of overlaps. But what, what would be the difference for you between yourself? What makes someone a Christian? Yeah. Mm. What makes someone a faith, Christian? Uh, uh, for me, it's faith in the resurrection. It's believing in the resurrection. Mm. And that's the that's the stop point, isn't it? You know, because mm. I know it makes no logical sense to believe in a man that was raised from the dead. I know that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, here <laughs> I am. Yeah. And, um, that, and that's the stopping point. You know, so right. many people that I've spoken to, so Ed Byrne, really good friend of mine, um, one of the patrons of the Humanist Society, me and him get so far down the road together <laughs> yeah. and then we get to the resurrection point and I go, okay, I'll see you. Yeah. Yeah. That's the point where we go, all right, it doesn't mean that you don't have faith. And I would never presume to say to someone, you're not a Christian or you are, you're in this club or you're not. Mm. It ain't for me to choose. That is not my gig, you know. And and I be, I do believe in a, a an afterlife. I do believe in a, a place of love and light and joy and all those things. Uh, I'm not sure if I believe in hell in a in a in a rigid framework in the same way that other people might believe it. But what I do believe is that we're loved, absolutely loved, despite all our flaws and mess ups. Mm. May I ask a random question? Yeah, you can ask whatever you like. What do you think um, social media has done to Christianity? I don't really like Christians on Twitter. (laughs) 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 Because what happens is, like all things, it polarises. So actually there's some brilliant voices on social media. For me, it's been really useful as a tool because a lot of the time people will message me and go, you're the only vicar I know. Mm. Um, They don't know me. But Mm. they're like, you know, I had a a Mm. woman a few months ago whose father had died and somebody had told her that um, because he didn't go to church, he wasn't allowed a Christian burial, which is absolute nonsense. Mm. And she'd seen me on telly and messaged me and gone, mm. is that true? No, it's not true. And I was able to put her in touch with a local priest that I knew that lived near her. Um, she was I've never met this woman. She lives on the other side of the country to me. But because of social media, I was able to make that happen for her, for her so her dad could have the funeral he wanted. Wonderful, brilliant. But, of course, you get, like all things, you get people who... Uh, the. St- the stories that make the headlines are the are the Christians, uh, and I use the word Christian lightly, <laughs> Christians throwing things at women outside termination clinics. Mm. Yeah, they're the Christians that um, you know are uh, uh, wanting to wanting to I don't know um, persecute people people from the LGBT community. You know the because. There are, there are, what social media has done is those preconceived ideas that people might have about Christians. It's polarized that, which is both good and bad news because the good news for me is it makes it really easy for me and for Christians like me. Mm. Do, do you feel to be good? The, po- the Pope's <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah. He just basically posts messages that I would say fulfill the principle of love out of faith like he just posts really nice tweets <laughs> <laughs> it's, really, it's a really good tweet yeah. and these things like you know like on my on my Instagram and stuff I, I'll post a picture of myself going out on a night out and people go oh I love you you're like a normal person I am a normal yeah. person <laughs> yeah, and, and that still comes as a surprise to people so people will stop me in the street and say to me are you allowed to wear shoes like that 
Are you allowed to? Are you allowed to? Are you allowed Who's going to tell you off? Are you, are, you allowed, <laughs> are you allowed to drink? Are you allowed to? Because the idea is mm. that we are some sort of holy little bubble. Mm. rather than deeply flawed people like everybody else just trying to make our best in the world. Mm. Okay, so at the end of each show, uh, we like to wrap up with a Britain is a nation of and then try and summarise what Britain is a nation of. Do we have any thoughts? Well, the thing that struck me with the surveys we've looked at is how many people say, don't know. The answers have often been, don't know. I have a suggestion for once, right? Mm. How about (laughs) Britain is a nation of Christians with a small c? So, like, we're not, we don't, we don't think we're religious necessarily, but actually we inhabit and we live by many of Christian values. So we are Christian, we just don't know it. Does that make sense? I would go with Britain is a nation of people of faith, whatever oh. faith means to them. Because I would say Christian is probably too prescribed to one set. Okay, of. yeah. Or enough. I'd go, Britain is a nation of healthy agnostics and long may they live. Because oh. <laughs> actually agnosticism is the only logical position. If you'd like to see the full results of these surveys, visit YouGov or find in-depth articles and analysis on uk.news.yahoo.com forward slash BNO. We'll be back next week with more discussion around British stats and behaviour. So please subscribe if you've enjoyed today's show and feel free to reach out on Twitter using hashtag BNO. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.